Welcome back, Intimates. I'm excited to find you experts to talk about love, connection, non-monogamy, polyamory, relationship anarchy, group sex, kink, commitment, and lots of other intimacy and relationship topics. Let's live our best lives together by unlearning stigma and getting clear on what we really want. Don't know what to ask for? I have loads of ideas for you. Of course, none of this would be possible without the support of my amazing Patreon supporters or my current hosts, the Musqueam First Nation on whose unceded lands this podcast was made and this human was born. If you want to support more intimate interactions, you can say thank you by supporting us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. Patreon supporters also get every episode of the podcast ad-free with short intros and outros. I know funds are not an option for some of you lovely humans, but don't fret, there are other ways you can help out. You can help make more intimate interactions by just telling someone you listen to this podcast. Or if you're feeling especially generous, you can share a link to an episode you like and discuss it with a friend or partner, or even leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting site. Help other humans interested in more intimacy and better relationships find us. If you have your own podcast, shout us out. Need a podcast guest? Email offers to podcast at victorsalmon.com. I love talking about relationships and intimacy, and I love cross-promotion and working with other podcasters. Okay, let's hear about today's episode. When I say dominatrix, what's the first thing that you think of? In my experience, dominatrices are just people. Most of the ones I know are moms. Um, Many have partners. Um, Sometimes those partners are cis men, sometimes not. Um, sometimes those people are married. Uh, sometimes those partners are sexually submissive, but definitely not always. Most of the ones I know are fun people to hang out with, and that's just it. They're just people. So, I chat with Robin Beach about how dominating men for money interacts with family life, with partnerships, with sex, and just about doing sex work. We talk a little bit about risks and costs. Um, But mostly we're just two people talking about jobs that we've had. Ultimately, sex work is just work, no matter how dangerous or safe the specific version of sex work is. Sex work is real work, and it's rarely ever just for fun, even though most providers have had moments that haven't really felt like work. And I think for jobs that are suited to a person, when, when it's sex work or not, most people have had experiences where they go to work in some job, and on a specific day... It just doesn't feel like work that day. So while they're rare days, and when you find a job that suits you better, they're less rare. Ultimately, sex work is just work. So yeah, let's chat more about that with Robin here on Intimate Interactions. Um, so I'm super excited to hear more from you about pro-doming. I feel like you have so much cool stuff to say about pro-doming. And as much as I'm glad you're giving yourself a break for chatting about, for writing about kink stuff, I can't wait until your pro-doming book comes out. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I will definitely be discussing, like the book is, is on kink in general, but there will definitely be discussion over kink as a profession, uh, because have some time working Mm -hmm. as a pro dom and I mean it really taught me a lot and that's a lot of what I want to do when I write is recognize the fact that I really didn't have a lot of resources so why not share some of my experience things that I've Mm -hmm. learned with others as there's not a lot of resources out there yeah plus people are always just curious you know people ask me a lot about when I was stripping or pro doming and 
I, I love, I love questions. I love sitting down and chatting about it. So uh, I am enjoying writing. It's also, coming up. it's so weird to me that people see those people as like strange, weird people. <laughs> they don't see them as like, you know, the biological mom to two kids, the mom essentially to three kids in a mixed non-monogamous household. <laughs> like people don't think of like, oh, this pro-dom and stripper is just an ordinary person who like grew up in Abbotsford and is like... Totally. And I've had, yeah. I mentioned that in my uh, stripper memoirs, Call Me Holly, that people had have said to me like, wow, you don't look like a stripper. And just like people had have said right. to me, oh, you don't look like a mom. I'm like, what does a mom look like? You know, so mm -hmm. people have definitely said that to me when in the past they've been like, oh, you don't look like a stripper. I'm like, I'm not at work. I'm not dressed like a stripper because I'm not currently right. working as a stripper. And to have that mindset of that is not who I am. It's what I do. Um, at least with working mm -hmm. in sex work, that um, was, was, was what I did. It wasn't necessarily who I was. Even as a parent. Yeah, I am a parent. That's who I am. But that's not all that I am. Among like many mm -hmm. different things, somebody that is queer can look like many different things. And having this assumption, like, oh well, you don't look X Y Z, is a is just a, a yeah. comment that's really thrown me off a few times. And being like, well, what is that supposed to look like? And then they don't understand. Right, like, like well, I'm not trying that? to pick a fight. I'm just actually right. curious. So yeah, of course, I don't look like I used to be a pro dom because I'm not dressed as a pro dom. <laughs> Unless I was working, right? Right. Right. You'd have to pay me to look like a pro-dom. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, show me some money and I'll show you what a pro-dom looks like. <laughs> no problem with that. Exactly. What makes someone a pro-dom is their ability to make that transformation for mm -hmm. money. Absolutely. So how did how has pro-doming affected family life because i know at at times you were doing pro-doming out of your own home were you not yeah um really not a lot the only the only thing i can think of where um it was inevitable that there would be some overlap uh was when i was pregnant um when i became pregnant mm -hmm. i've been pregnant and, and carried babies to term twice um, and in both of those situations, I was prodoming and I basically sent an email to all of my regular clients and said, by the way, I am mm -hmm. pregnant. I respect if you do not want to have any more sessions with me until after I'm no longer pregnant, in which case, please let me know when I can contact mm -hmm. you when I'm no longer pregnant. Um, and if you are interested, that's totally fine as well. Uh, I'm not going to be taking on new clients, but I'll continue to see my regular clients. Um, and I just ask that you respect the fact that I might not be able to do things that I would normally do. So like just a nice kind of thought, thought out professional message. And I had mixed responses, either a, you know what? I appreciate you telling me that's not my thing. Um, I would rather wait until you're done. Let me know. And I respected that. And others, my the regular clients that stuck around, um, interestingly, right. the kind of play they wanted to do definitely shifted. It almost became like they were very service-oriented or that they wanted to care for me. And so I found myself, it was quite nice, having clients that wanted to maybe 
I don't shave my legs. Let's be honest. I just don't. But they would want to shave my legs or paint my toenails or do something that, you know, a quote unquote, like pregnant person can't normally do. Um, or, or so basically I had clients that wanted to pamper me or massage me. And I was like, I, you want to pay me and massage me. I'm okay with that. So. <laughs> right. You're like, can all of my pregnancies be supported? Right? Like this? So I was quite pampered throughout both my pregnancies due to clients wanting to pamper me and then pay me for it. So that was really, I think the only difference in terms of having kids, uh, that was different. And then of course there was the fact that I was lactating, uh, there are a lot of people mm-hmm. that have fetishes over breastfeeding. Now, um, breastfeeding directly does uh, increase risk for fluid transmission because there are mucous membranes right. on your nipples. Um, so there is some form of fluid exchange. And if you have, which is really common when you're breastfeeding, to have like cracks on your nipples or something like that, that includes blood mm-hmm. and if somebody has a cut on their lip or a cold sore or anything that could uh, transmit things so i i personally like figure out your own risk profile and what you are comfortable risking i was not comfortable risking direct contact with breastfeeding but i was happy to right. either spray someone's face or you know give them a bottle of my milk or something like that and that was something i also did that's really all, all i can think of in terms of how being a parent had any slightest impact on my pronouncing. Right. Um, I'm curious, did it change how you perceive discipline um, for children or do you not typically subscribe to that? Um, no, not at all. No, I would say no. Uh, <laughs> like, I never, like, no, I no, never even thought no. about that until you asked. It's a fascinating question. No, it's a definitely a different... It's a definite no. (laughs) Personally, yeah, totally different mindset when it comes to any kind of like disciplinary actions. Uh, Yeah, not at all the same mindset. (laughs) Like when you're pro-doming, it very much, it feels very theatrical. It's a role that you're putting on and I'm Mm -hmm. doing a lot of like reading my client and figuring out what they're responding to and how and it's there's usually like a sexual kind of dom dominant connotation to it that's not at all the same with my kids with my kids i'm like steam is coming out of my ears legit i'm not playing a role i'm like (laughs) just trying to keep my sanity and help them become good human beings as opposed to i guess that would be the difference between what my what my goals were like with my kids i'm legit trying to a keep my own bit of sanity that I still have left and also try <laughs> just tr- I'm like my goal. I just want them to be decent human beings. Don't be assholes, be good human beings. That's all I'm really the least I'm aiming for. Whereas in a pronoun situation, it is the, in that moment, what is your fantasy? What is it that you need fulfilled? And how can I fulfill that by playing on this role? So for clarity, I know that that's the case. I just want to ask these really juicy questions to help give you the prompts to parse this information for a general audience, if that oh, makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I'm here for it. 
cool because I know that that can almost come across as microaggressive when you're like, oh, how is parenting discipline oh. different from, <laughs> you know, and it's like, obviously, it's totally not the same thing. Yeah, but yeah. I'm like, interesting. No, Let's talk about this. thought so. to make that comparison. So it's kind of fun to stimulate my my brain. You know, that's it's it's fun. Hit me with it. I'm 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 here for it. Hit me with your it's best totally shot. Of that song. Or like, um, hit me, baby, one more time. <laughs> oh my goodness! Apparently, that was a significant shift in pop music. It like changed. It changed stuff yeah. for pop music and was very significant. Wow. Yeah, it like changed. It changed styles and it changed like narratives surrounding it. Or so I've been led to believe by an article I once read on the internet. <laughs> I I do remember being quite impactful but I think I was like 12 or 13. So when that mm-hmm. came. Um, any, anyways, without digressing onto a whole tangent about <laughs> how, um, how I do listen to pop yeah. and it's like a guilty pleasure. And I'm like, now if you look at Lady Gaga's art pop and you compare it to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, um, right. We're talking about pro-doming. Um, so we talked a little bit about pro-doming. We talked a little bit about pro-doming in family life. How did pro-doming affect partnerships or did it even affect partnerships? Um, it really didn't affect them, honestly, but I've been very fortunate to have partners that are really patient and sex positive and supportive of sex work. Um, if anything, my partners just wanted to know that I was safe uh, so mm-hmm. I would keep a journal of which clients I was going to see and when and where I would be. And under no circumstances were they allowed to look at this journal unless something went wrong and they knew where the journal would be. Um, so to my knowledge, uh, my partners never looked at it, um, but it was there just in case something happened happened as kind of a safety precaution. So I know that just right. knowing that that information was available if needed, I think helped to reassure, I mean, not speaking for them, but it seemed to help reassure them just to know that that information was there if needed. Mm-hmm. I will say, just because it yeah, sounds like of... when I said like where I'll be, I didn't do any house calls or anything like that. I worked either out of my space or a right. rented space. Yeah, it helps to be in your own environment. There's an element of safety there. Absolutely. Um, I like how you had like a murder investigation trail just in the event of. Yeah. You know, I teach a workshop on safety and BDSM. And honestly, a lot of the methods that are commonly used are basically, you know, if I don't call you in an hour, um, come find my body. Or like, it sounds really (laughs) horrible. I know to say out loud, it sounds very morbid, but even like going on a date that you met from someone online, they have what's right. called safe calls where a friend calls you 10 right. minutes into your date and you maybe give them a code word, but it's like, what if they don't answer? Um, come right. find my body. Like it, it's only makes you so right. safe. Right. Um, so it's, it's not necessarily a safe measure. It's, it's a safer measure or a way to help minimize Uh, risk because there are a lot of risks that we take in life and it's up to you to decide what risks you are willing to take. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's, 
it's it's so neat to see it framed in terms of like a safe call for a regular date because I think that's something a lot of people will be able to like grok. Oh yeah, because once you sex work, um, it sounds so different, but it's like actually it's not that different from when going on a date with someone you just met online that you've never met in person. Right. I'm not saying like literally but, like, you're meeting someone online you've never met before. You don't know what's going to happen. So there's only so many precautions you can sure. take. Like if you're downtown on Tinder or Grinder and you swipe right on someone and you're like, Hey, I'm going to go over to this person's house to have sex. Here's their address. Um, if you, if you never hear from me again, come find my body. That's, I know, that seems to be in my, in my workshop on safety in BDSM. That's basically the, the, the punchline to every safety precaution is <laughs> come find it's my like, body <laughs> so if this doesn't happen or if this doesn't work out come find my body <laughs> it's it's good to let people know what the stakes are and the funny thing is i feel like femmes in our society are so fucking desensitized to the dangers of like well i want a bone and this person is like a dude and might murder me or rape me. So yeah, here's the, here's the address I'm going to be at and come find, find my, my body. body. If I, like you in it's an just hour. so. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's really fucked it, up. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would like to say I took when it comes, especially when it came to prodoming, I did take more precautions than that. I did have certain screening, uh, or vetting procedures. I would, uh, a lot of products know each other. Sure. So I would ask either, basically the first thing I would ask a client is, have you seen a prodom before? Uh, right. If they didn't, that's still information. That's fine. I'm not going to turn you away because you haven't, but it gives me a lot of information to right. know that you have or not. And if you have, I want to know who, cause I probably know who that is. And we can talk like, let's not totally. kid ourselves. People in sex work often no people in sex work in your geographical location. Yeah. Especially when it comes to kink. That's a a very specific category of sex work. Um, It's something, it's something I regret about camming. I feel like people see each other as competition Uh, and because they see each other as competition, they don't share strategies or talk a lot. And what that leads to is the same scammer will go around and scam every sex worker on a camming site. It's it's ridiculous. And it gets to the point where people are like, oh, you got scammed by this person. Yeah, everyone gets scammed by them at first. That's just normal. And I'm like, why is that normal? Like, we shouldn't have missing stares like oh, that. Oh, that's awful. I, I, I can kind of see how that might happen because with camming, and I'm just making assumptions here, you're separated by screen. So there's that safety of anonymity of being behind. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the only other the forms of work I did was working as a stripper in which there was some competition but like when push came to shove strippers would look after each other and with prodoms specifically with what we would call like quote unquote lifestylers those are people like um, there's the prodoms that are that, that practice BDSM in their everyday life. They're familiar with a scene and everything involved with it as opposed to, and I know this has negative connotations. I don't see it as such, but there's what you call an escort with a whip. Um, and that would essentially yeah, hmm. be a sex worker that is looking to have a sexual experience, but basically throw a whip around. And that's not a bad thing. I think that works really well for the type of person that maybe has that role play fantasy. They want to hear the crack of the whip and have that uh, amount of domination, but everything is mostly sex driven. 
somebody that, that wants an escort with mm-hmm. a whip and that sees a lifestyler is not likely to have a good time because they're actually going to get their ass beat and maybe they don't want that. You know <laughs> what I mean? So like I don't – I know some – I've heard lifestylers speak poorly on escorts with a whip, but I think that is great for those that have that fantasy and don't necessarily actually want to get beaten. For those that actually want to get beaten and have somebody that actually knows how to use floggers or rope or what have you to see somebody that understands how a scene works and how the endorphins work and being in subspace or et cetera. Um, So the lifestylers in particular – we're definitely familiar with each other because the lifestylers are people that practice BDSM on a regular basis and are likely to be a part of the community. So definitely. And it's, and it's fucking art. Like people don't understand how much art and work goes into crafting an excellent scene. And yeah, if you've been doing it for 10 years and you're a lifestyler, yes, it comes easier, but it's not free. It's still emotional labor. It's still energy. It's thinking, it's planning, planning a good scene like that that takes yeah. something and if it's going to be a special scene like where it really resonates with someone for a long time usually but not always you need to put something special into the scene and it's like that's where a lot of the i think where all the monetary compensation makes a lot of sense yeah absolutely i know there uh, i'm not i'm no longer pro doming but i have heard from other mm-hmm. uh friends chosen family that work in that still work in that world they say that since covid there have been a lot of sex workers that are kind of deciding to do pro-doming to try to expand how much work they're able to do because of course they're not able to make as much money but they don't have a lot of knowledge of bdsm and they think oh i can hit someone with a flogger Mm. like anyone can do that and it's it's just it's, not about the flogger skill. It's like, like if you want to expand your skill set, go for it. But just don't make the assumption that, mm-hmm. like, oh, I can spank someone, I can hit someone with a crop. It's not a big deal. It really is a mix, and this sounds again, this sounds kind of wooey, but it's like it really is a mix of art and science to understand the endorphins and hormones of a person's body when they're in pain based on their emotional state, how to navigate that, how to read somebody. And it's it's not just cues that you would see, but there's an intuition involved with it. There's a lot that goes into not just scene planning, but being working on your feet and working with your client and, or your partner or whatever, and, and what you're given and how to respond. And it's, it's a, it really is a beautiful thing when it's done well. Um, I, I, and that's not uh, to discourage, like, I don't want to just, I don't want to discourage sex workers from, from like you said, expanding. That's fucking awesome. I'm super stoked for you. I know people that are like, Oh, sex workers, just my thing. I'm not into BDSM. This is what I do. And I'm like, you're amazing. Keep doing what you do. If you want to expand, again, I'm not against that. I'm not going to be like, oh, you just do sex. You can't do beating mm-hmm. Go for it. But do the research. Uh, mm-hmm. as even with, I do sex and relationship coaching, but I, because I have worked as a stripper and because I've worked as a pro dom, I have people that will come to me as a client to learn the things that you should learn beforehand what tools you're going to need and how to use them how to set up and navigate a scene those are things you should learn before engaging in it professionally and i feel like that goes with most forms of work like you should know what you're doing before you dive into a situation so sex workers out there i know things are hard i'm so sorry things are really shitty right now if you want to expand 
like contact somebody that can help teach you how to do those and how to do mm-hmm. it successfully so you can be good at what you do and not just have it be a super temporary thing and even possibly get a bad reputation. Do it properly. Get knowledgeable on this stuff so you can fucking rock it. And I will support that. And kinksters, kinksters do share information. Yeah. Like your reputation is everything yeah. in kink and you cannot afford to be rushing ahead of your skill set and making mistakes and hurting people because other legitimate kinksters will start viewing you as a delegitimizing force and they will blacklist you from shit. Like as much as that may or may not even affect what you plan on doing if you're not a lifestyle kinkster, just keep in mind that if you do want to be taken seriously, just find a mentor. They're out there. There are plenty of them. Yeah. In fact, contact Robin. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Shameless call me. plug. Um, don't call me. Email me. Um, but seriously, <laughs> yeah, as much as prodoms will vet clients, clients will vet prodoms just as well. Um, I have had clients come to me and be like, I'm interested in seeing this prodom. What do you think of her? Do you know her? Can I trust her? So there isn't just vetting of clients, but vetting of prodoms happen. So Mm -hmm. you're stepping on landmines when it comes to kink stuff, because there's a lot of emotional and physical landmines there. So just, again, just make sure you're knowledgeable of what you're doing. Like literally, even if you do everything right, if you make no technical mistakes in your flogging and you make no technical mistakes in scene planning and construction and you make no technical mistakes in getting consent and understanding the nuanced, intense, difficult nature of the ever-shifting landscape of consent in BDSM, even if you nail all of that, if you hit an emotional landmine, what ethical responsibility do you have as a professional then to do some amount of aftercare and what does that look like? Totally. You're making me think of Jean-Luc Picard. <laughs> I don't know exactly the quote. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, he was quoting I, I don't know, right now. Of, even if you do absolutely everything right, there is still the possibility of failure. Got it's it. It's like just basically um, saying you can do everything right and things still can go wrong. That's just reality. Mm-hmm. So some great yeah, positivity to share with you this evening. <laughs> it's just a matter it's, of being it's one of those, those things. things, right? Yeah, and and just understanding that the stakes are suddenly higher. It's it's not like the way stakes were before. Like like if you're a receptive femme sex worker and you're suddenly going into a position of power where I mean you can argue about that. But, you know, into a position with more power where you're suddenly in a position where you could actually really hurt someone and suddenly their consent isn't to just be assumed to everything. How much skill do you have in getting consent from someone when you're pursuing stuff for a queer femme? I would say you probably have way more experience personally. Um, Maybe just historically, maybe I'm showing my age, but when I was like 12 to 17, I had to painfully learn um, about rejection and making requests and making asks and balancing, okay, this person did say yes, but did they actually mean yes? Um, Not to like undermine what a person as an expert of themselves is saying, but to keep in mind that consent is ever shifting, like 
I had literal training in that socially. Yeah. And a lot of mask folks still fuck yeah. it up. A lot of initiators fuck it up. So it's like you're you're traveling into territory that is different. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go there. It just means it's important to acknowledge it's different so you, you know, don't wreck yourself. Totally. No, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Socialization. So basically know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> Risk assessment. Yes. Yes, it is. It is more than it seems. That's all. Yeah, <laughs> TLDR. Yeah. More than it seems. It's that is all. Amazing. I've had some amazing times yes. as a pro dom. I have definitely built bonds, um, and within the professional realm, relationships with certain clients, like certain relationships and bonds, that have been very special to me. And I mm-hmm. there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There have been times when I felt like I could really let out this, you know, sadistic lion inside of me and really let that out and have a great time there's there's been times where we've had laughs like i have i had really enjoyed my time as a pro dom it's not all you know shits and giggles it's not all of a fun time there's a lot of work that goes into it majority of which is going to be advertising yourself um which of course depending on your geographical area there are certain laws you have to be really careful of um, and mm-hmm. like ninety percent, I swear, is filtering through garbage. And I'm sure you're familiar with this, Victor. But it's like ninety percent mm-hmm. people trying to basically jack off for free, or just kind of bullshit you around, or someone that you don't that you get bad vibes from that you don't trust. You have to. I had so many emails and messages that I had to filter through, and so. If you are the type of person that can really stick to your boundaries and be assertive about them, you'll be fine. If you struggle with that, maybe that's something to work on a little bit before getting into something like prodoming because you don't want to be taken advantage of. Um, you learn mm-hmm. a lot of tricks, which I would suggest if you're interested in prodoming to definitely contact another prodom or someone like myself who teaches and also was a prodom um, to help teach you things to look out for like for new clients here's a here's a quick quick free tip for you for a new client i would always get a small deposit um yeah because you get a lot of no shows especially in this industry a lot of people that flake out or just get scared last minute or maybe really weren't super serious you have to right and you have to negotiate and people will use that negotiation as their own scene they will like jack yeah. off to the negotiation and then no show. Yes. And you're like, fuck yep. off. Like I spent time and energy yep. on that. And even possibly money. Like if you rent a space, which at one point I did, and if they didn't show up, I would right. be out money for not just being away from my home, but also paying the rent that it had, right. you know, so that's why I would say if it's a new client, I would get a small deposit, reasonable professional clients are going to be understanding of that and they're more like way more likely to show up if, mm-hmm. even if it's like a 20 25 dollar deposit is usually what i would get and then they would show up um things like n- not like you mentioned not negotiating too much not elaborating too much that, and that doesn't mean that you shouldn't negotiate. You need to negotiate but you need to find it, that balance between giving them free app material and, and making sure you clear right. boundaries and and the needs and wants 
And as much as it is typically said never to negotiate in scene, and that's usually a very good guide, that doesn't mean that when the person shows up on the day of, you can't ask more nuanced questions and do the negotiating you feel you need to be safe um, before the scene starts. Obviously, for any major decisions, you want them to make that not on the day of if possible, because just like you shouldn't negotiate naked, you shouldn't negotiate immediately before a BDSM scene if you can help it. Mm -hmm. Having said that, it's still, of course, okay to negotiate. And it's always okay to negotiate down and say you're not comfortable with as much. Um, But you just have to be, again, it comes back to what Robin was saying about just being so careful with your boundaries and being so Mm -hmm. firm in them. I often, my... How it would look, you know, I when I had my own space, I preferred it. It was nice. I had a lot more control. And, of course, I was less likely to sacrifice money if I had a notion. Um, but they would show up to my space. Mm-hmm. And I would I would be looking professional, but not, like, in my gear. You know, I would be wearing kind of regular right. formal slash casual, I don't know, office attire kind of thing. Like, I would look professional, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. be dressed up. And I would greet them in the entryway, and I would double-check, okay, this is who you are, this is who I am, you're aware of what's going on, quickly double-checking on, you know, maybe safe words or hard boundaries. And then I would give them instructions, and it would be in a very, I would try to be, like, professional, but also in in a neutral way, almost like I was maybe a boss. So I'm still kind of in charge, but it's fairly neutral, Mm -hmm. and I would say, okay, I'm going to leave the room, and I'm going to go get dressed. While I do that, I want you to take... Um, maybe I would say all of your clothes offer as, as much as you're comfortable taking off. And I want you to go face that wall, put your hands on the wall and wait for me. Or maybe you, you kneel down here, put your clothes, you're going to kneel down there and wait for me. And then I would leave the room and I would get changed just behind the door. And then I'd come back and that's when it would really start. So there would be a moment before kind of like a quick right. check in. Yes, we're good. Yes, we're here. We're agreeing to this. So that we can at least double check on that. And maybe I would I would usually give them an opportunity, like, do you have any questions before we get started? Yeah. You know, like a quick chance to share something they wanted or something that was really important to them. And I would always say, like, you're not obligated to continue. If you need, you can say so and we can stop. Um, and then I'd be able to go quickly get changed behind the door and come back. And we'd be able to start our scene. And at least that was the method that I would use. And I thought it was a nice way to quickly check in so that they're not entering a door with like this heavy duty dominatrix, like waiting for them, you right. know, well, Abandon all hope ye safe, who enter here. Me, right. I wanted them to feel safe as well. Yeah. Great. And a quick check in in case some, you know, there's a mistake. Maybe somebody else shows up at the door. <laughs> You know? <laughs> Could you imagine the like pizza guy shows up at the door that like Brandon orders and you're like, go in through the back, <laughs> strap yourself in and I'll be right with you. And the pizza guy's like, yeah, this sounds okay. <laughs> there was uh, in Supernatural, I believe, if you're familiar with the show, these two brothers that pose as FBI agents, but they're like hunting ghosts and demons. There's an episode okay. where they're trying to find information on the ghost and they're posing as FBI agents to professional magicians slash like illusionists who immediately recognize that okay. their IDs are really fake. And they're like, Oh yeah, you're going to want to get information from here. And they actually send them to like a pro dom. Do you remember this? Amazing. And D 
Dean shows up to this place posing as an FBI investigator thinking he's going to get information on a ghost and like this giant awesome dom leather bear dude answers the door and he's like oh i'm gonna give you a good time what's your safe word by the way <laughs> dean's like i think we've had a misunderstanding like it's really cute and some might argue it's problematic mm-hmm. but i thought it was kind of adorable and nice to include like a little prank in there where you know that's something you could walk into and maybe a good uh, i was really relieved to see that he double checked on the guy's safe word <laughs> before getting started <laughs> It's pretty, yeah, that's, um, I find that, like, kink is typically included as an afterthought in, like, a lot oh. of screenplays. Like, it's, it's very like much the like... the butt end of a joke, which is really problematic, but... Yeah, and being like, oh, this person's really twisted and mm-hmm. perverse, so, like, yeah, maybe they tie their victims up and, like, that's how they get their kicks. And it's like, you know, bondage is sometimes not even about pain. Right. But it's hard not to have a giggle. You know, especially as a kinky person who worked as a yep. pro-dom to be like, I totally walked into a pro-dom situation. I'm really glad that they figured that out before it got too late. Yep, that's legit. <laughs> so, but you're absolutely right. Um, I have a whole workshop on it, especially when it comes to media involving female pro-doms. They're almost always a joke. Interesting. Whereas you see movies like Secretary and O and Fifty Shades that are like stories involving a male top. But anytime you see a female top, it's usually a joke. Although there's a few exceptions that are still problematic. There's Bonded from Netflix, also problematic because there's like no consent in that story. Um, Yeah, that whole, I didn't like that whole story because of how it misunderstands kink consent so much um and then there's i haven't actually seen it but i've had folks come up to me and talk about csi uh lady heather there's a character that's a pro dom that is fairly well respected and actually has like a storyline although she is a thin you know white uh conventionally attractive redhead but at the same time, apparently she's respected as a professional and actually has a storyline. So I've been meaning to watch that, but I haven't. Other than that, there's really not a lot of uh, representation of prodoms in a way, uh, female prodoms in particular, that are not basically the butt of a joke. Now that I think about it, of all the prodoms I know, you're the only one that's not at least like a ginger, if not a redhead. Well, that's also a, a, an interesting stereotype. I, I'm thinking of, of my workshop called uh, Female Presenting Tops in a Male-Dominated Culture. And mm, say more about I, that. I cover a lot of different prodoms in media, and the majority of them are slim and white, a conventionally attractive, and either redheaded or has red incorporated into their costume or outfit. Which is very interesting. There's a lot, a right. lot of black and red, which is like traditional. But I think what's interesting is once you're in the scene, you realize that like people actually understand color palette. <laughs> well, and anyone, it doesn't matter what size or color you are, how femme you are, you can still be a female presenting top and rock it. It's just hard because that's the stereotype totally. that we see, right? Um, so. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the workshop is just basically like recognizing all of these proms in media and how that really doesn't cover reality. A lot of the proms I know, maybe a couple of them fit that category out of ones that are maybe have different bodies or different colors or, you know, et cetera, different styles. They're all not all necessarily high femme. Uh, right. So, anyways, they come in all shapes and sizes and everyone loves all shapes and sizes. So it's just a, a just a reminder of reality versus um, media. Media yeah, perception. Exactly. Right. Like if we believe the media about what women look like as a general category of what women look like, it would already be like such a small, teeny, minuscule segment of the actual population of real women. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And other than Sense8, which was excellent, when was the last time you saw a woman who was a trans woman in media? Boy, um... Probably Laverne Cox. Like Orange I, is the new black. Ooh, good call, good call. And um, I saw a documentary on um, Marsha P. Johnson, mm. and so they they have interview footage with um, Sylvie Rivera. Oh yeah. And she's a trans woman, I believe. Mm-hmm. Super fun. So yeah, Orange so there's is the new like... black and Laverne Cox. I don't know if you watched it. There are scenes of flashbacks of her before her physical transition. And I remember looking, Yeah, you know this, you already know what I'm getting to. And I was looking at it, I'm like, that looks just like her. How would they even pull that off? Cause she had a thicker jawline and facial hair. I thought there's no way she would have gone so far as to go off hormones for a significant amount of time for just those couple of scenes. And then it turned, she actually right. had a twin brother. And apparently, <laughs> apparently, they're in the process of, of, of auditioning and casting people to play her, Sophia, this character, before her transition. And they're going through all these people, and the director's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you had, like, a twin or something? And she's like, oh, wait, I actually have an identical twin. <laughs> and the director's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I'm kind of pissed because we're already auditioning people, but it's also like Christmas. That's amazing. And they asked him to do it and he wasn't an actor, but he was like, yeah, if you pay me, I'll do anything. And so he, he <laughs> did it. And, and I was, I thought that was such a cool story about just how it was like an offhand, like, Oh, actually I do have an identical twin. <laughs> yep. That's amazing. <laughs> Anyways. I've, I've seen those scenes. I didn't actually know that was what was behind oh. them. Yeah, I saw I saw it on some like behind the scenes whatever, and, and I just I just died laughing because it's a it's a great story. Like, what are the chances? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Ah. Well, I feel like we've kind of talked pro doming to not necessarily to death, but to a reasonable amount that we can fit into a podcast. Sure. You know, and I'm happy to discuss this further like if people have other questions because there are so many categories and questions people have about programming so if you people have certain questions that they come to for and we can do like a part two on a certain question anything like that you know me i'm down to talk about whatever so uh thank you for having me and i'm, I'm just i'm so excited to have these conversations and i want to say i respect and appreciate not just the space that you offer, but the information and resources you provide to other people in doing this. 
Well, thank you so much, Robin. I appreciate that. So how was it, Intimates? Did you love something you heard? Or maybe you're upset by something I said? Leave your comments on facebook.com slash interactions, or you can go to patreon.com slash victorsalmon where you can find our Discord server. All of these communities are available on intimatepodcast.com, and I genuinely look forward to speaking with you soon. If you liked it, please consider helping us pay for show costs over at Patreon for as little as $1 per month. It's incredibly helpful. It's just a dollar a month. If you can afford it, we would hugely appreciate having your support. And hey, if that doesn't work for you, I completely understand. You can also help out by going to leave a review on iTunes or other favorite social media platform. Social proof like that helps so much with visibility and audience building. It helps other intimacy and relationship nerds find us. And if any of that just sounds like too much work, you can always do something really simple and it still goes a long way. Something like just tapping share and sending an episode that you liked, maybe a favorite, to a friend or partner, or maybe you can send them something you think they might really like. That's probably more considerate. (laughs) Thanks so much for your time and for your help in keeping us making more of Intimate Interactions. Oh yeah, I almost forgot. The intro music was Driving in the Rain by Timecrawler, and this outro music is Acoustic Blues by Jason Shaw.